Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series, What is the Church? Many think of the church as a building or organization, but scripture teaches something far different. The church is the community of God's people who gather for worship, love, and care for one another and serve God's purposes in the world. We hope this helps you understand and apply God's word in your life today. I do also want to say uh, welcome to some of our guests. We have some folks who are uh, not normally part of Bay Ridge that are here today, some who are here from out of the area, some other guests that I just recognize, uh, as people are glad to be able to join with somebody since we're able to meet outside. And uh, we are really glad to have you here with us. Pray that the Lord would uh, bless you uh, today. Today we're going to be looking at actually two biblical texts as we're going to talk about a uh, topic that we don't often uh, think of, but it is the communion of saints. The communion of saints, which we actually was mentioned a little bit in one of the songs we sang this morning, and I'll come back to that. But we're going to look at John chapter 10, verse 16, and then also Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 to 24. John 10, 16. And Hebrews 12, 22 to 24, the texts are there in the little handout you've got. I'm using the New International Version if you're following along in your Bible. So hear now the word of the living God. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock, and one shepherd. And then Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 to 24. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the word of Abel. Uh, this morning we sang the song, I Believe, which is actually based on the Apostles' Creed, and we're going to repeat the creed later, and you have probably you know, recited the Apostles' Creed before, and many of the phrases are very, very familiar. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, our Lord. These are phrases that we're very, very familiar with. Even, even if somebody was not a Christian, they're, they're pretty familiar with what those phrases are and what they mean. But there are a couple of phrases that you suddenly run on later in the creed that I've had people bring up questions before. We had somebody visiting one time and we were actually doing a water baptism and I basically prayed the Apostles' Creed over the young person being baptized and the person had actually gone to uh, a ch their child who was a pastor and said, he, he prayed and said he believed in the Holy Catholic Church, but it, but it wasn't a Roman Catholic Church I was at. And his son told him that that, that doesn't say he believes in the Ro Holy Roman Catholic Church. The word Catholic means universal. I believe in the universal church is what that phrase means. But there's a, another strange phrase, which is I believe in the communion of saints. What does that phrase mean? Why would it have been summarized down into a very short creed 
that's trying to summarize the whole Bible in just a few sentences, why would you pick out that phrase and say, this is important enough to make it in? I believe in the communion of saints. What is it that we're talking about? Now, in our catechism, and I've been kind of, you know, using our catechism as a basis for a few of these teachings, in question 70, we ask the question, what is the church? And the church is the body, bride, and temple of Christ, which we've looked at the last three weeks, the community of all true believers for all time. And that's kind of a little bit more modern way of saying the communion of saints. So what are we going to talk about? What does this mean and, and why is it important for us? That's what we're going to deal with today. So the first aspect to understand when we say we believe in the communion of saints is we believe in the communion of saints with Christ himself. That to be a believer to be a saint means that you are in actual union with Jesus Christ. Notice Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 16. He's speaking at a time when the only people that were part of the visible church really were Jews. And Jesus says this, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. He's here referring to Gentiles, you and me. That's who he's talking about. They're not part of uh, the nation of Israel, but I must bring them also, and they too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. See, Jesus is driving at the essence of being his follower. The essence of being in the church is not whether you're Jew or Gentile, it's not whether you're male or female, whether you're rich, whether you're slave or free, whether you are educated, uneducated, whatever your socioeconomic class, none of that is the essence of what it means to be a Christian. Rather, the essence of being a believer, the essence of being a saint is hearing and responding to the voice of Jesus Christ. Whether you're male or female, rich or poor, whatever ethnicity, whatever nationality, whatever time you live in, if you hear and respond to the voice of Jesus, you are a saint. And if you do not respond to the voice of Jesus, you are not a saint. And it does not matter whatever your ethnicity, background, who your parents are, anything else. It is hearing and responding to the voice of Jesus that makes one a saint. And so this is important for us because as we've been seeing in recent weeks, the deepest unity that we can have as human beings is the reality of having heard and responded to the voice of Jesus Christ, of having him as our shepherd and being part of his one true flock. Again, whatever other distinctions there are, that is the deepest unity that you can have. So when you look around the field right now, there are all kinds of differences among us. But the one thing that unites us if we are here as believers is Jesus is my shepherd, I am his sheep. He has spoken and I have heard and responded. That is the deepest unity you can experience with another human being, that that statement is true of both of us. And so this idea is developed in the New Testament because one thing is true, you know, in one sense it says Jesus is our shepherd and we are his sheep, and that metaphor is true, but there is a reality to the union that goes beyond that. The shepherd and the flock are not one. They're distinct. But we are one with Jesus Christ. Not that we are him. We're not God. We're always a creature. But there is a spiritual union. 
The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, He who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Paul's saying, you Corinthians need to understand. It's not that Jesus is over there and you are here. You are spiritually united with Jesus Christ. And we saw this when we looked at the church as the body of Christ. Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 is actually telling the Corinthians, some of them were saying, what I do in my body doesn't matter. I believe in Jesus, but I still go down to the temple and I get with the temple prostitutes. That's what they were doing. And Paul says, no. If you are a believer, you are spiritually united with Jesus. And he actually asks, should I take the members of Jesus and unite them with the prostitute? That's what you're doing, he tells them. No matter where you go, Jesus is with you. And so it's a call, Paul says, for us to walk in holiness because there is a reality, there is a union we have in Jesus Christ so that it's not just a philosophical idea. It's not that I've just agreed to follow his teachings when we actually become a believer, there is a communion that the believer experiences with Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit affects. Paul tells us this is not only true of our daily union with Jesus, but it's especially true as we gather in worship, and particularly when we come to the Lord's table. Listen to these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 16 and 17. He says, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ. And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. So notice again, he's saying there's one loaf, one body. This is just like one flock. There's not many churches. There is one church. And he says, you're all united. But notice, he's saying, don't you understand, Corinthians, this is not just an external relationship between you and Jesus. When you gather and you come to the Lord's table, he says that cup that you drink of is a participation. You don't have to know Greek. You've probably heard the word koinonia, fellowship, sharing together. That's the word Paul uses here. He says there is an actual fellowship, an actual relationship, an interaction between you and the blood of Christ and the body of Christ when you come to the table. So when we participate in the Lord's Supper in faith, we experience true communion with God and are freshly united with Jesus and all of his saving benefits. One of the things I keep bringing up in the series that I want us to see Christianity is not about some external thing that it's just a philosophy we have bought into. By the Holy Spirit, it is real. You are the body of Christ. You are the bride of Christ. You are God's only temple in the earth, and you experience true, real communion with Jesus Christ to the point that Paul can say, if you are in the Lord, you are united with him in spirit. Now, 
This is imperative for us to understand because first off, before we even turn to what else the communion of saints would mean, this is why the gospel has to always be central in the message of the church. We never move beyond the gospel because the essence of all of this is that I know who Jesus is, I know my sin, I hear his voice calling me to repentance, and I say, yes, Lord. That is essential. You do not get into God's kingdom any other way. Uh, I was so excited this week as Stephanie actually posted on Facebook one day that uh, Kaylin had gotten a little Bible I had from when I was a child and she wanted to read Papa's Bible and she was discovering the the glories of the King James Bible. So there was a little bit of challenge there but I can't tell you what a joy that gives me in my heart because she's not in because Papa's a preacher. She's not in because mom and dad believe. She has to personally hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I give thanks to God that even at her young age, she has already done that and gives evidence of having done that. But that is why the gospel is central. We never assume the gospel. Show me a church that assumes the gospel. I'll show you a church that is on the path to disaster quickly. It is always essential. And I don't take for granted, you may be here today and have wandered into this meeting and not even be a believer in Jesus Christ. If you are not, I urge you, you, you do not rest on what someone else did, that your name is on a roll. I'm an American. None of that matters. Have you heard the voice of Jesus Christ? Do you believe in God the Father Almighty? Do you believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, who descended to the dead and on the third day was raised again? Do you believe that? If you have never done so, I urge you, I urge you, I urge you, to cry out to him today because this is not about a philosophy. It is about a personal relationship with the living God. So point one, the church is the communion of the saints. All those in every age who have been united to Christ in faith and draw their life from him. Do you say, he is my life? Not, not just he's my philosophy. He is my life. That's what the first part of what the communion of saints means. But there's a second part, which is that saints are in communion with one another. The communion of saints deals with our relationship with one another. So we are all united with one another in one church. So notice Jesus there in John 10, 16 says, These, I've got other sheep that I'm going to call. They too will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. There only is one flock. We have so lost sight of this today. We, we act as if there are all these different churches out there. We act as if we're somehow not one with others. If you understand the depth of your union with Jesus Christ, then you can't help but say, it does not matter who else is out there, what other things uh, separate us. If that person is a believer in Jesus Christ, I am one with them. There is a communion between me and them that is deeper than what anyone else can experience on any other basis. This is that other aspect of being, you remember, in the body of Christ. The body is united to the head. 
drawing its life from the head. But Paul said as well, the church is united to one another, each part with one another. So for example, in Romans chapter 12, verses four and five, Paul says, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. So that if something happens to one part of my body, it affects everywhere else in my body. It can't help but affect everywhere else in my body. Um, so this is what Paul is teaching. So to be united with Jesus by faith means you and I are united with one another. And it means that you and I are each closer to a believer who is from a different ethnic background, a different country, they speak a different language, they're in a different political party, they have a completely different political philosophy from what I have, they are a different, uh, everything about them is different from me. I have more unity with them than somebody who is from my country, speaks my language, shares the same political philosophy, we're gonna vote the same way in November, that's not unity. Unity is, I was dead, I'm now alive. I had no understanding. I was running hard the wrong direction, following Satan in his ways. I'm now part of the kingdom of God. Do we believe the deepest unity you can have in this life is simply that we're both believers? See, it's one thing to say it, it's another thing when I walk it out and I find out we're, we're different. But see, the scripture tells us, no, you are in communion with one another. Now, this includes both the local church and the universal church. Both of them are included. We'll talk about this more in, in another teaching coming up. But in 1 Corinthians 1, 1 and 2, the, the Corinthians were having a real problem with this idea of unity. They weren't experiencing the communion of saints. They were very divided within themselves, and then they thought they were superior to other churches. And so listen to how Paul begins his letter, the first two verses. Paul always lays out, I always love it, he, he telegraphs where he's going. So right up front, you can usually read the first couple verses in one of his letters and say, I got an idea where we're going. <laughs> no matter how many chapters this is going to wind, I know what Paul's after. Here's how he begins it with the Corinthians. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth. So there's a church of God that exists in Corinth. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Do you hear what Paul's saying? I'm writing to you, Corinthians. You are a local church. You are a real part of the body of Christ. Yes, you are there. And you have the same exact experience as every other Christian. You're no more spiritual than they are. You're no better than they are. They have called on their Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. You are together with them. You have experienced what it means to go from death to life. This is how Paul begins it with the Corinthians. So there are, there is the church of God in Corinth. If we had been so blessed that there had been a letter to the Annapolitans, Paul would have written and said, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, I'm writing to the church of God in Annapolis. And there is a church of God in Annapolis. 
He could have maybe even written, he wrote at times to churches that met in people's homes. It was even a smaller entity. Maybe he could have written to Bay Ridge Christian Church. But make no mistake, his message would be, you are still part of the one church. You're not your own thing. You're not separate. You're not, this is a shock for us, you're not God's favorite. He loves you just like he loves everyone else that is in his kingdom. So through our union with Christ in the Spirit, we're united with all Christians. Whether they're part of Bay Ridge or they're not part of Bay Ridge, whatever their ethnicity, whatever their sex, whatever their economic class, their political affiliation, their location, we are in spiritual union with everyone who calls on the name of Christ. And we dare not let any of those other secondary, tertiary, and whatever comes after tertiary things interrupt my unity that is the deepest unity, which is we're both believers. Now, this even goes further than that because the communion of saints also means that the saints of all ages are united together in Christ. In church history, they've kind of developed the idea of the church militant and the church triumphant. And what that means is the church militant is those who are still down here on earth. We're still under attack. We're still engaged in spiritual warfare. Therefore, we are the church militant. Let me be clear. It does not mean that we're supposed to arm up and go kill a pagan for Jesus, okay? When I was a young Marine, I kind of hoped it meant that, but that is not what it means, okay? But we are the church militant, but there is a church triumphant, which is those who have already died, and they are already in the presence of Christ. They are in heaven now, but the scripture says we are still united with them through faith. There's not two churches even there. There is still one church. Now, this is not about praying to the dead. This is not that somehow I can chat with them and they can chat with me. The scripture says, no, that's not the case. We are not to do that. But it is a recognition that the unity we experience in Jesus Christ is so deep, it transcends death. Death itself will not come between the unity we have between us and Jesus, nor the unity we have with one another. Not even death can come between that. And this is why, as we're going to turn in just a moment here to the book of Hebrews, a very famous verse in Hebrews. You remember Hebrews chapter 11? He goes to what we call Faith's Hall of Fame, right? And he goes all the way back to Abel and comes all the way forward. And he says, remember this person, they did this by faith. And by faith, they did this. And by faith, by faith, by faith. And then he comes to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. And he says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Who's the cloud of witnesses? It's all the people he was just talking about in Hebrews 11. He says, look, you're in a race. You're still running. They've already finished a race, but know this. They are there and they are cheering you on. They want you to be faithful in your race as they were faithful in theirs. Moses wants you to be faithful and succeed like he was, and he's hoping and praying we'll do even better than he did. That is the call that there is this unity that... And I don't understand how all this works, okay? So I can't explain exactly, well, what do they see in heaven? I don't know. I know that I'm told by the writer of Scripture 
that they are a cloud of witnesses. They are watching. They are cheering us on as we are running out the race that has been marked out for you and me and our time and our place that we would be faithful. And so it's not just even that we're spurred on by their example, though we hope to do that, but they are actually somehow, they are encouraging us. They are cheering us on. They are actively pulling for us. They're not oblivious to who we are and what we do. And it's not, well, it's a different time and place. I've already got mine. Too bad for them. That, that's not the heart that they have towards us. And actually the scripture in this strange way tells us, and again, we don't understand exactly how it is, but when we gather each week in worship, we are spiritually united with other believers, not just here on earth, but even the saints in heaven. Notice the phrase in Hebrews chapter 12. He says, you've come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. So he's telling the Hebrews because these believers, these Jewish believers in Jesus were being tempted to go back to Old Testament types and shadows. And he's telling them, look, you don't need to go to the earthly Jerusalem. You come to the heavenly Jerusalem. You don't need to go to the earthly Mount Zion. You are coming to the true Mount Zion, the city of the living God. And notice how he describes it. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. I'm trying to get us a little bit in this series to see. When you and I gather here on Sunday, we are joining an eternal worship service that has already been going on. We're simply adding our voice into the mix. But whether you and I are silent, there are thousands upon thousands of angels that are in joyful assembly around the throne of God, giving praise and honor and glory unto God. In fact, when you look in the book of Revelation, every glimpse we get into heaven, pretty much what's going on every time we see it. They're engaged in worship. And the writer to Hebrews says, you're joining in with this. Notice how he continues. He says, you come to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God, the judge of all men, and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. Friends, you and I are not yet perfect. We are still the church militant. But it says, but you're joining in with those who've already been perfected. For them, battle is past. They already are in the presence of God. Faith is now sight, and you are joining in and worshiping with them. And notice it doesn't say their bodies are not yet perfect because we're still awaiting the resurrection to come, uh, but they are perfect. They're not struggling with sin. They're worshiping God, and we join in around them. And we are all, notice here, still coming to Jesus the mediator. There with him in heaven, giving thanks for what he has done. We are here down on earth, and somehow by the Holy Spirit, we are united with them. I want to encourage you. See, this is one of the things. We can get so used to doing this that I come in, and I'm sleepy. I didn't sleep well last night, and my mind is wandering, and I'm going off, and the guy next to me, especially if you're sitting next to me, he's singing off key, Okay? We need to, the writer to Hebrews is saying, lift your eyes up. An Old Testament pilgrim, when they traveled for days to come down to Jerusalem, they were excited. And the writer to Hebrews is saying, you're not going to Jerusalem, you're going to the heavenly Jerusalem. When you come there, it's not a few other pilgrims that are gathering around you. You are coming to thousands upon thousands of angels that are joined in worship. All of the great forebears, all the people from Hebrews 11 that went before you, they are all there. They are joined in worship. That's what you're participating in. 
If we thought of it more that way, I would probably not yawn so often in worship. I would not take it for granted. I would be stoked and say, this is what I am joining in. Now, lest you wonder, is this some strange thing Brett made up on his own? The answer is no. I'm going to just give one. There are many others that I could give. John Calvin, who was a pretty bright guy, and, and, uh, and very often is a good guide to what's going on in discussing the Apostles' Creed and what this phrase means and what it means to be part of the church. Calvin said this in his Institutes. When in the creed we profess to believe the church, reference is made not only to the visible church of whom we are now treating, but also to all the elect of God, including in the number even those who have departed this life. That's what it means to be part of the church. That's what it means to be the communion of saints. And this union that we experience is going to carry on into eternity. We better start practicing it now because we're going to be there in eternity. And those distinctions are still going to be there, but we're finally going to see how deep our unity is. So notice in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, John says, after this I looked and there before me, was a great multitude that no one could count. And they were all from one nation. They all spoke the same language. They looked alike. They thought, is, is that what it says? How many nations are they from? Every nation, every tribe, every language. Whatever distinction you want to make, John said, I looked and they were all there. All of them were there, and they were wearing white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Because it doesn't matter if you were a desert nomad living in the 400s wandering around the Middle East in a desert somewhere, or you are a believer living in 2020 here in Annapolis, we have more in common with that desert nomad if we are both in Christ than I do with my next-door neighbor who's not a believer. Do we see that? Do we understand the greatest defining thing for you and me as we are in Jesus and we are united with one another? See, and notice that it's still the gospel. Why are they united? Because salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What unites us, despite the fact that we're singing in all these different languages, we're from all these different cultures, everything about us is different. You know what's the same about us? We were lost and we needed salvation. And thanks be to God, God sent the Lamb. The Lamb took away the sins of the world and brought us to himself. The same thing is true even in Revelation chapter 21. You get the picture of the, the New Jerusalem. And we'll do this and then come to applying the word. The New Jerusalem in Revelation 21 uh, that comes down out of heaven, we're told it's the bride of Christ, it's the church, it's all of this. But in verses 12 to 14, he gives an interesting description. He says, it, the New Jerusalem, had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. And on the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And then in verse 14, we're told the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the lamb. What, why do we have the 12 apostles and the 12 tribes together? Because us and Israel are not two different peoples of God. 
you are united in the communion of saints even with the Old Testament believers. There's not two New Jerusalems, there's one. There's not two people of God, there is one people of God. And all the only difference is they were looking forward to God's promise being fulfilled. We're looking back at the fact that God fulfilled it. But notice every time you see in the book of Revelation, Old Testament Israel and the church are united as one. They are one people of God. And this means that when you become a believer, when I become a believer, not only are we united with Jesus Christ, every single believer who has ever lived are part of the church, united with Jesus and united with one another. That's what it means to be the communion of saints. I'll talk a little bit more about that last point on even with Old Testament believers and our unity with, the, with Israel in after hours. I encourage you, you can listen to that. But we're going to move to applying the word. So we've got uh, really just two quick sets of questions, and then we're going to come to the Lord's table. The first thing is regarding the individual believer and the communion of saints. So I, I want you to think for a moment just about yourself, not, not Bay Ridge as a whole, but just about yourself. Do I realize my deep unity with all other believers? Now think about that for a moment. Do, do I realize whatever else, it doesn't say that I like them, doesn't say that we agree on things. Do I realize that this is the deepest unity I can have is with all other believers? Does that inform the way that I think? Let me ask another way that same question. Do I act as if I have more in common with a believer of a different ethnicity, a different socioeconomic group, a different education level, a different nationality, different political beliefs than I do? Do I, do I act as if I have more in common with that believer with all those differences than I do with an unbeliever who is of my ethnicity, of my nationality, of my socioeconomic group, of my uh, education level, and we vote the same and think the same politically and socially? Which of those, if an angel were sitting there and jotting down notes, would they say, this is what Brett really thinks? He really thinks his deepest unity is either based on all these other characteristics or is it based on being in Jesus Christ? We have, we have a real problem right now. We are, we are breaking down and balkanizing right now because everybody wants to be broken down. It's useful to marketers to break me down to every little thing. The thing that ought to shape you and me is my identity is Jesus Christ. That is deeper than anything else that can be said about me. It is deeper than the fact that I am male. It is deeper than the fact that I am, have white skin. It is deeper than the fact that I went to the Naval Academy, that I served as a Marine. It is deeper than the fact that I am an American. It is that I am in Jesus Christ. But do I act that way? And don't, don't too quickly say yes, because it's a challenge for us. Because 24-7... This world is telling you that's not your deepest unity. Your deepest unity is when I break you down all these other ways so I can market things to you or I can get you to get all outraged at this group. or That's what everybody is doing for you 24-7. And we have to rise up 24-7 and say, no, my deepest identity is I'm in Jesus Christ. He spoke, I heard. 
I'm part of the flock. That's my identity. Do we understand and believe that? Do my words and actions stress my communion with other true believers? Or do they tend to stress my differences on issues that are less than the gospel? Because see, this doesn't mean, when I say this, you're not going to walk out and meet all the other believers and everybody's going to be the same way. That's not even true in this field right now. It's just not. If we're honest, husbands and wives can say it's not even true in their own house. Right? Do, do my... You are not supposed to say right. It is the same in our house. Yes, if you couldn't hear Hannah, she's saying that her deepest unity with her husband is not even that she, he's her husband, but that because they're both in Jesus Christ together. That is a fact. Do we understand that? Everything in this world is telling you no. Everything in this world is telling you something else. Do my words and actions reinforce the communion of saints? Second question comes to us as the church. I'm going to make a startling statement. The faith did not begin with Bay Ridge Christian Church. It existed before us. And if you don't believe me, you can ask like Tommy and Nellie and Donnie and Myrtle, because they were here when Bay Ridge started, when we were under a different name. But they were here, and the faith had existed. Donnie's getting up there in years. He's not that old. Okay? Do we understand that? Do we really believe that? Because we can joke about it, but do we understand we stand in line with the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And the thing that truly marks us is not where Bay Ridge has distinctives. We are different than certain other churches down the road. We, we disagree on certain things. But do we understand that what unites us is what is essential? And that what we really put our focus on is not where we're distinct, but where we're the same, where we believe the same things. Churches, especially today, are always looking for the novel and the hip. Whatever's the coolest, newest thing that came down. That is a church that is about to run into disaster. I am not looking to tell you something new. And if I start doing that, run me off the stage. That's not my job. We stand in line with the saints of all the ages. Truth did not begin with us. And so we need to stress what we hold in common with other believers, not where we are distinct. Now look, we know what we believe. We will not compromise on essential Christian beliefs. And we're going to be told, I'm I am warning you increasingly, you are going to get to stand against a culture and pay a price for essential Christian beliefs. That is going to come in your lifetime and mine, in all likelihood. I hope I am wrong, but I believe I'm correct. We're going to have to stand for essential beliefs. But friends, there are all kinds of other things where, you know what, we need to just hug our brothers and sisters and say, we may not see eye to eye on that, but that's okay. What unites us is far greater than anything that would divide us. I'm going to read real quickly the words to uh, part of the hymn, The Church is One Foundation. Listen to how it describes everything that I've just gone through. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. 
elect from every nation, yet one or all the earth. Her charter of salvation, one Lord, one faith, one birth, one holy name she blesses, partakes one holy food, and to one hope she presses with every grace endued. Mid toil and tribulation and tumult of her war, she awaits the consummation of peace forevermore. Till with the vision glorious, her longing eyes are blessed, and the great church victorious shall be the church at rest. Yet she on earth hath union with God the three in one, and mystic sweet communion with those whose rest is one. O happy ones and holy, Lord, give us grace that we, like them the meek and lowly, on high may dwell with thee. Yeah, basically, everything I just said, I could have saved y'all like 35 minutes and just read that hymn. So that's the communion of saints, but that's what it is. But do you hear at the end, we've got mystic sweet communion with those whose rest is already won. And our prayer is, oh God, help us to be faithful. Keep us walking in faith. Lord, let us, let us be aware. They're cheering us on. Let us stand until the day comes when we stand and our battle is over as well. That's what we look for. So friends, we are going to come now to communion and you need to get both your little communion packet and for our visitors who are here, if you've never used one of these, there's two levels to it. You have to peel the top part off just to get to the bread. But before, you don't even necessarily need to do that yet. What we're going to be doing to begin is we're going to confess our faith together. I've referenced it in the teaching and we actually sang a version of this morning, but we're going to recite the Apostles' Creed together. And, and if you can, if you're able to stand up, if you could stand. If you can, if it's, you're having a hard time getting up, I understand. But we're going to confess the Apostles' Creed together. Now, let me be clear. This, this was not written by the Apostles, even though it has that name. But this is a very, very ancient creed. And it is recited by believers all around the world and has been recited for hundreds and hundreds of years. It goes back into the mists of time that Christians have been reciting this, this is the faith that we believe. So friends, let us confess the faith together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Friends, hear Jesus' words of invitation to all who believe in him and confess the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, and the bright and morning star. 
And the Spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. For what I receive from the Lord, I pass on to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken, so that your sins may be forgiven. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Friends, you proclaim the gospel until he comes. We give you thanks, Father, for, and let me, as I begin here, let me, let me say this just so you know what I'm doing. The prayers I'm going to be repeating right now are from an ancient Christian writing called the Didache, which means the 12 in Greek. This is one of the earliest writings we have after the New Testament, and they actually give the prayers they used in their communion service. So we're simply going to repeat their prayers. Again, as a reminder, here how it's the same faith. 2,000 years ago, people living in Palestine, this is how they celebrated the same sacrament we're taking right now. We give you thanks, our Father, for the life and knowledge that you have made known to us through Jesus, your servant. To you be the glory forever. And Lord, just as this broken bread was scattered upon the mountains, and then was gathered together and became one. So may your church be gathered together from the ends of the earth into your kingdom. For yours is the glory and the power through Jesus Christ forever. Take and eat. We give you thanks, our Father, for the holy vine of David, your servant, which you have made known to us through Jesus, your servant. To you be the glory forever. Take and drink. We give you thanks, Holy Father, for your holy name which you have caused to dwell in our hearts and for the knowledge and faith and immortality that you have made known to us through Jesus, your servant. To you be the glory forever. You, Almighty Master, created all things for your name's sake. And you gave food and drank to humans to enjoy so that they might give you thanks. But to us, you have graciously given spiritual food and drink and eternal life through your servant. Above all, we give you thanks because you are mighty. To you be the glory forever. Remember your church, Lord to deliver it from all evil and to make it perfect in your love. And from the four winds, gather the church 
that has been sanctified into your kingdom which you have prepared for it. For yours is the power and the glory forever. May grace come and may this world pass away. Hosanna to the God of David. If anyone is holy, let him come. If anyone is not, let him repent. Maranatha, oh Lord, come. And God's people say, Amen. Let's stand together for a benediction. And I encourage you, as part of the one flock, the one body, to receive the blessing and the life that comes from Jesus, your head. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with all of God's people. In his name Amen. Go forth blessed and be a blessing. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.